Amen. Thank you, Luke. Thanks, worship team. Go ahead and grab a seat, if you would, please, guys. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here. Welcome to Alpine Church. Hey, we're excited to have you come and worship with us today. And if you're a guest here for the first time, we just hope you know how grateful we are that you're here. We hope you feel welcome and that you feel right at home. Uh, my name is John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Church, Logan. And I'm really excited to be with you guys today. I, I have gotten a lot out of this series that we've been doing on the Ten Commandments. I hope that you have as well. Uh, it's been really encouraging to me. I've had some really good conversations with people about how it's kind of revealed some things to them in their life. And so uh, I'm with you today as we pick up on commandment number four. Now, if you've missed the first couple of weeks or maybe you're not sure of the order of the Ten Commandments, let me kind of just catch you up on where we've gone up to this point. So in the first commandment, we see that God gave the commandment that we should have no other gods before him. See, the creator God of the Bible is the only God. He has always been God and he will always be God. Nothing else has ever been God and nothing else will ever be God. As such, he is to be the first, the supreme, the ultimate thing in our lives. So that was commandment number one. The commandment number two, we saw that we're not to make any graven images. We're not to have idols in our lives. Now, for most of us, it's probably not a temptation to pray to a, a piece of wood or a piece of stone, but we saw that it's just as easy for us to make idols out of things like fame, money, success, pleasure, or even good things like family and ministry. And then last week, we talked about not taking the Lord's name in vain, commandment number three, and we, we realized that we can not only take the Lord's name in vain with our lips, we can take the Lord's name in vain with our lives, with how we live, with how we treat each other. So that's, that's where we've been up until today. And one of the things we've tried to emphasize in this series, and one of the things that I hope has been an encouragement to you, is that the commands of God flow from the heart of God. So God gives us these commands because He loves us, because He wants what's best for us, because He wants us to thrive I think that's really important for us, and I, I want you to think about that for a minute because it, it didn't have to be that way. In other words, if, if God is really God, if He's the creator of the universe, and that means He is the creator, and we are the creation, and as such, we should obey anything He commands, even if it's ridiculous. I mean, if God said everyone should learn to play the tuba, then we should all learn to play the tuba. If God said you have to wear yellow on Mondays, then tomorrow you better have some yellow in your outfit, right? If God said everyone has to be a Utes fan, as painful as that would be, then we should be Utes fans because he commanded it. But see, God's commands aren't like that. Again, God's commands flow from God's heart. See, I think in addition to our rebellious nature, one of the reasons we have struggles with God's commands is we've never been under anyone else's authority who is like God. We've never been under anyone else's authority who is completely righteous, who is completely just, who is perfectly loving. See, everyone else that we were under their authority, they often had rules that had ulterior motives to them or were for their own selfish interests. I mean, as a parent, I hope my kids know that the vast majority of the rules and commands that we've given them are because we love them and because we want what's best for them. But if I'm being completely honest, there have been a few that were more for my benefit and my sanity than they were for my kids. But God isn't like that. Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
When is the last time you looked at God's commands like that? When is the last time you thought, oh, God, I love your law because it revives my soul? So with that backdrop today, we come to the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And we come to a transition point in the Ten Commandments because the first four commandments deal primarily with our relationship between us and the Lord. But beginning in commandment number five, we're going to see a transition to where it's primarily between us and others. And I don't think it's accidental, I don't think it's coincidental that they're ordered that way. Because if we don't get this right, our relationship between us and God, it's going to be tough to get these right, our relationship with one another. See, if we love God, if we honor God, if we're following His commands, it will impact our relationships with one another. It doesn't mean they'll be perfect. We'll still have issues. But when you live a life that loves God and honors God, it will have an impact on how you treat those around you. So we're going to go ahead and jump in. If you have your Bible with you, or if you have your Bible up on your phone, we're going to start in Exodus 20, verse 8. So it says, Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. As I've been preparing this message, it's been really convicting for me, and it's even Convicting as I share it today because I have been burning the candle at both ends for about three or four months now. And I recognize that I have not been doing a good job at balancing work and rest. So I I feel like I'm preaching to myself today. And that makes me a fairly typical American. And I'm sure that many of you can relate to that because most of us do not set good boundaries between work and rest. In a recent Washington Post report, it was noted that most Americans don't use all of their paid time off. Last year, 768 million days of paid time off were left on the table. On average, Americans work 400 more hours per year than our German counterparts. We work more than 100 hours per year more on average than the British. And then even when we do take our paid time off, often we take work with us. According to a recent poll, 30%, or excuse me, 70% of Americans said that they check in with work while they're on vacation, and then 30% of those said they check in every day while they're on vacation. So this is a message that you and I need to hear just as much today as when it was written 3,500 years ago. That's one of the things I love about the Bible is its wisdom is just as relevant now as it was when it was written. And that's going to bring us to our first point, and that's that God set up the Sabbath for our benefit. So if we were to look back in those verses, those verses point out two purposes of Sabbath. First, we all need rest from work. If you think about the context in which this was written to ancient Israel, ancient Israel was an agrarian society. And so the entire family was involved in raising crops and intending to the livestock. And agriculture is very labor-intensive, as any of you who grew up on a farm or on a dairy know very well, right? And this command issues that no one in the family was to work at the family business on the Sabbath. 
And they weren't to hire someone out so that they could rest. Right? We saw that their, their male and female slaves weren't to work either. In fact, even the livestock was to get a rest. And the surrounding cultures didn't have anything like that. This was a special blessing that God gave to his people Israel. They were the only ones who observed a Sabbath. Now this assumes that work is a good thing. We should invest in our work. We should work hard. In fact, God says you have six days a week that you can invest in your work, but you need adequate rest. So even though the other cultures didn't celebrate this, even though they had an agrarian economy, God knew what was best for them. God gave them a Sabbath as a blessing. We read a couple of minutes ago in Psalms that the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. Well, commandment number four revives the body as well. It gives us the rest that we need. And that's important because when we get the balance of work and rest out of whack, it has negative consequences for us both mentally and physically. One 20-year study showed that men who didn't take regular vacations were 30% more likely to have a heart attack than those that did. Women in the same study were 50% more likely to have a heart attack than those who took a regular vacation. And then on a, on a chronic level, too much work leads to burnout, right? And we lose focus, we lose energy, we aren't as efficient. It can even hurt our concentration and memory. We become less creative. It'll affect our decision-making. And all of that just leads to more stress that then affects our relationships and puts more strain on them. And unfortunately, most of us do not do a good job leaving that at work. We bring it home with us. And then some of us, we come home from job number one only to go on to job number two or to that home improvement project that we've been working on for the last three months that's wearing us out. On the flip side, people who take regular vacations note that their mood is more positive, they have more energy, they feel less stressed, and they say that when they do come back to work, they're more productive that they get more stuff done, they're more efficient. But, but we're talking about, guys, more than just an occasional vacation here. We're not just talking about one week out of the year. We're talking about a regular rhythm of work and rest that all of us need. Because God, in His wisdom, didn't say take two days off a month. He didn't say make sure you take two weeks off a year. But He said out of every seven days, make sure you have one day where you can rest. So again, the Sabbath is for our benefit, and it's not just for our benefit mentally and physically, but also for our benefit spiritually. Because the second purpose of the Sabbath is that we all need time to focus on God. The commandment said that the Sabbath day of rest is dedicated to the Lord. So all of us can benefit from time that is spent just between us and God. Time spent getting to know Him better. Time spent reflecting on His goodness. Time spent reflecting on His mercy towards us. Time spent in prayer. Time spent in reading His Word. Time spent worshiping Him like we're doing here today. But if we're not careful, the busyness of life and the pressures of all the stuff that have to get done tend to squeeze out our time with God, don't they? And when we're spiritually, excuse me, we spiritually suffer when our time with God gets thin. So if you think about these two purposes, it makes sense when Isaiah says in Isaiah 58, 13, enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. I think this verse captures God's heart towards the Sabbath. God says, I want you to enjoy it. It should be a delight to you. It's not a burden. Now, when is the last time you thought about that as you're getting ready for a church on Sunday? 
Now, I'm not saying that the Sabbath has to be Sunday for you. In fact, we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But when is the last time you looked at your, at your Sunday as a delight, as a chance to revive your soul? See, for many of us, Sunday is the best day to take a Sabbath because we already have it off from work. Our kids don't have school. We're already spending extra time with the Lord in prayer and in worship and things like that. But do you look at it as a blessing or do you look at it as a burden? I mean, let's be honest, whoever wrote the song, Easy Like Sunday Morning, never had to get four kids ready for the 9 a.m. service. (laughs) That's why you see only one of my children in here. The others are coming at noon. (laughs) Okay? But how do we look at the Sabbath? See, if you look at your Sabbath as more of a burden than a blessing, then you can relate to ancient Israel. You can relate to ancient Judaism because they lost sight of the Sabbath as a blessing. They forgot that God set it up for our benefit. They forgot that they gave, God gave it to us because he wanted us to thrive. And so their Sabbath became something that was hard on people. But then Jesus entered the picture and Jesus clarified that the Sabbath is a blessing, not a burden. See, over time, the Sabbath had become abused. And by the time Jesus arrived, it had become a very legalistic burden to the Jewish people. If we go back to the commandment, Exodus 20 just simply said, don't do any work on the Sabbath. But the religious leaders felt like they had to clearly define what work meant. And so it led to this elaborate code of regulations and restrictions on what you could do and what you could not do on the Sabbath. For example, you couldn't carry more food than the weight of a fig on the Sabbath. You couldn't carry more ink than what you could write two letters of the alphabet with on the Sabbath. You were limited to how far you could walk on the Sabbath. You know, if you've been reading in the New Testament, you'll often see the phrase, a Sabbath's day walk, because they weren't even allowed to walk as far on the Sabbath as they were other days. Then they would debate over the extent of the Sabbath rules. They would ask questions like, is it work to move a lamp from one place to another in your home? Is it work to lift a child so that you could hold your child on the Sabbath? Then they gave their rules as much weight as God's original command, and this became legalism. See, legalism is any time you and I try to measure our relationship with God based strictly on outward appearance and based strictly on fulfilling religious rites and rituals and obligations. And so the religious leader made this Sabbath a way to measure who was more spiritual than who. And the more detailed and more complicated the rules got, the more brownie points you could earn if you were able to check all the boxes. And so it became a huge burden to the people. It was no longer about dedicating time to the Lord and about resting, but instead it was a time for checking off the boxes and the restrictions on the list. It was not in a sense of excitement of, hey, we get the day off. We get to rest. We get to spend extra time with God. Instead, it became more of, if you don't do this, 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 and this, you're not a good person. Now, that kind of legalism isn't just limited to ancient Judaism. I experienced some of that same stuff growing up. When I was in high school, most all of my best friends belonged to a different religion. And they grew up in religious homes. They loved God. On Sunday, they couldn't swim. On Sunday, they couldn't play basketball. On Sunday, they couldn't watch TV. On Sunday, they couldn't go out and eat. And I remember being so confused by that. I thought, well, you don't make your living playing sports. You're not working on the Sabbath. In fact, I remember telling one of my buddies, as lazy as you are on defense, nobody could accuse you of working on the Sabbath. Now, that probably wasn't speaking truth and love, looking back at it, but 
But, but I distinctly remember all these guys were good guys. And they talked about how they loved God and they came from these great families, but every one of them dreaded the Sabbath. And I just didn't get that. But see, their religious leaders had turned it from a blessing into a burden. They forgot and it was no longer seen as a benefit and a blessing for God's people. And the same thing happened when Jesus was on the scene. So then we see Jesus tried to correct that. We see in Matthew 12, verses 9 through, or excuse me, Matthew 9, Matthew 12, verses 9 through 12. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus' answer makes perfect sense when you understand that the Sabbath was created for our benefit and for us to thrive. But the religious leaders didn't like Jesus' answer. In fact, a couple of verses later, Jesus goes on to heal that man. And the religious leaders become very hostile towards Jesus because he broke their precious rules. In another encounter with the same type of people, they again criticized him for breaking the Sabbath rules. And Jesus reminded them about the true intention of the Sabbath. And we see that in Mark 2, 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, Jesus reminded the religious leaders and he reminds us of the defining principle of the Sabbath. And that's that God created it to bless us, not make us its slaves. See, at the heart of the controversy between Jesus and the Jewish religious leaders were two very distinctive views of God. The religious leaders viewed God as someone primarily who makes demands. And as such, the Old Testament laws should be obeyed and followed at all costs. Now, to be fair, God does make demands. But Jesus recognized God as someone who is gracious and merciful, and that the demands that he does make are for our good, because he loves us because he wants what's best for us and because he wants us to thrive. So Jesus saw the Ten Commandments as a way of life that would bless us and benefit the people. As we come to a kind of a transition point in this message, I want you to think with me about where this understanding of the Sabbath is going to take us. Because this is important when it comes down to how you and I live out the Fourth Commandment versus how ancient Israel was instructed to live out the Fourth Commandment. And if we don't get this, we probably won't know how to apply this. So this principle is that Sabbath is not so much a special day as much as it is a principle. See, a lot of you might even be asking yourself, or maybe you've been asked this question, well, isn't Sunday the Christian Sabbath? Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. There's an important reason that we worship on Sunday, but it's not because it's the Sabbath. The reason we worship on Sunday is because that's the day that Jesus rose from the grave. The early church called that the Lord's Day. So we worship on Sabbath to remind us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You could could say that the resurrection changed the spiritual calendar. Because in Jesus' time, the Sabbath started at sunset on Friday and ended at sunset on Saturday. That was the Sabbath. We meet on the Lord's Day to remind us and to celebrate that Jesus is alive. That's why we choose Sundays. But we find in the New Testament as a whole, as you read the New Testament, there's a movement away from observing the Sabbath 
as a specific day of the week. See, the specific Sabbath regulations of the Old Testament law of Moses are not binding on us as New Testament believers. When the Sabbath laws were given, they were part of a covenant between God and Israel. But that covenant isn't binding on us. We're under a new covenant. We're under the covenant that was ratified on the cross by Jesus Christ. And that's why the book of Hebrews says that the provisions of the old covenant are now obsolete. If you have your Bible with you, Hebrews 8.13, I'd make a note of this and read this later in the week. But he says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. And so you see in multiple places in the New Testament that observing the Sabbath for a New Testament Christian is different than what it was for an Old Testament believer. For example, in Romans 14, 5 through 6, Paul writes, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So we understand the context in which this was written. Paul is writing this to a congregation that's, that's mixed with Jewish and Gentile Christians in the early church. And in the context of the passage, some of the Jewish Christians told the Gentile Christians they had to observe all of the Old Testament rules and regulations to be good Christians. And so in that church, some people wanted to observe certain sacred festivals and they wanted people to observe the Sabbath. Others had the conviction that every day was sacred and should be devoted to God. And what I find so encouraging here is Paul didn't say, hey, we've got to be in agreement on this. Paul didn't say, we've got to nail this down. You've got to do it this way or you're wrong. You've got to do it this way and you're right. That's not what Paul says at all, is it? Instead, he says, whatever your conviction is, be true to it. Whatever you decided to do, do it as an expression of loyalty and obedience to Jesus Christ. Not because you're trying to look the part. Not because you're trying to check the box. Not because you're worried about what your neighbor will think. And then he says, don't make your conviction binding on other Christians. Don't look down on other people who choose differently than you do. It's really easy to do that though, isn't it? Aren't we so quick to decide that the way we do something is the right way? And if somebody does something differently, then they've got it wrong. And if you don't think you do that, just think about when you drive home today if the roads are snowy. Right? Anytime the roads are snowy, if somebody's driving slower than me, they're overly cautious. If they're driving faster than me, they're a maniac, right? Like I somehow have the monopoly of knowing exactly how fast you should be driving on these roads. But see, if we're not careful, we do that with spiritual things too. It's just so easy to do that. You know, I remember last year I heard a, a TV preacher reprimanding people for not dressing up on Sundays. His defense to his reprimand is that God deserves our best. I wish I would have been in his congregation. Because I would have said, what? You think God only deserves my best on Sundays? I think God deserves my best every day. So according to your line of thinking, I should be in a tux and tails every day if that somehow is giving God my best. Now guys, I'm not saying it's wrong to dress up on Sundays. If Sunday is your Sabbath and dressing up helps you to recognize it's a special day, it's a day set apart, then by all means you should dress up. I think that's awesome. But if you feel like wearing shorts to church reminds you of the freedom you have in Jesus Christ, then wear shorts. Okay? I don't want to look down on you. <laughs> 
I'm not going to look down on you. And whichever one of those lines you decide, don't look down on your brother and sister in Christ who chose the different way. Don't look down on each other. We do that so often with things that aren't mandated in Scripture. So for New Testament, New Covenant believers, the Sabbath as a specific day of the week is optional. But hear this. God's laws flow from God's heart. So the idea or the principle behind Sabbath is still very important to us today. We still need a healthy balance between work and rest. We need special time dedicated to the Lord. That hasn't changed one bit. That's still a gift that God has given us to bless us because He wants us to thrive. So we're not required to observe the Sabbath, but we should all observe Sabbath. We should all have this regular rhythm of work and rest. Not necessarily a particular day, but a timeless principle of life. Because even though there's no single binding day for the Sabbath for New Testament Christians, the principle of the Sabbath is still the best thing for our lives. So I just want you to think for a couple of minutes about some ways that you can build the Sabbath principle into your life. Now for a lot of you, it may be one day a week. And as we just read in Romans 14, if that's the way you feel God has called you to do it, then perfect, by all means, do it that way. And if that's how you feel God has called you to build in Sabbath, Sunday is probably the best day of the week to do that for most of us. Most of us don't have to work on Sunday. Our kids don't have school on Sunday. It's easier to unwind and relax. If you're already coming to church, then you're already taking a part of that day and devoting it to the Lord. So for a lot of us, it makes sense for Sunday to be our Sabbath. But whether it's Sunday or not, make sure you create a meaningful rhythm of rest and work. Make sure it's frequent enough. Make sure it's regular enough that you get the benefits that God intended. So we, we live in a society where a seven-day week still applies. And if we have kids in school, then that kind of defines what our weekend is. But the work week can be very diverse. I mean, think about it. Just in this room, there are some of you that probably work five days a week. Some of you work four tens. Some of you might work seven on and seven off. I know for a while my brother-in-law worked out in the oil field and his schedule was 12 days on, 12 days off. Some of you work a rotating weekend or you're working graveyard shifts. Some of you are self-employed and so you feel like you're always working. You never get a break. So you have to figure out the rhythm that works best for you and your family. When is the best time for you to experience what the Sabbath is all about? Then when you decide that, you need to be intentional and build that into your schedule because it won't just happen automatically. Now, the Bible says that Satan came to steal and kill and destroy, and he wants to steal your Sabbath. He doesn't want you to have rest, and he certainly doesn't want you to have extra time dedicated to the Lord. So we have to be intentional about that. He'll try to get you to use your Sabbath as just a way to catch up, as a day to do errands, right? Or as a way to do honeydews around the house. Don't let that happen. Get the intended benefits out of the Sabbath. Part of the Sabbath experience should be a recharge of your batteries, and that's going to be different for all of you. I don't know what recharges your batteries. Maybe it's hanging out with your family. Maybe it's getting as far away from your family as you can. I don't know. Maybe it's taking a bike ride. Maybe it's just enjoying His creation. Maybe it's doing something active. Do the things that energize you. Do the things that recharge you. You know, if you work behind a desk all week, you may want to do something really active on the Sabbath. If you have a physically demanding job, you may not want to do much active at all on the Sabbath. But be intentional and think about what makes you feel recharged. And then don't forget the other half of those benefits. 
And that's that you need to make special time with the Lord on your Sabbath. See, life is better when we make time just for Him. Now, obviously, as your pastor, I hope you're making time for God every day. When we talk about the Sabbath, we're talking about extra time with God. Extra time with the Lord. You know, the, the passage where Jesus said, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. That, that word for remains there can also be uh, defined as to tarry with. And I just love that definition of that passage. And so my question to you, my question I ask myself all the time is, when's the last time you just tarried with Jesus? When's the last time you just thought, you know, I just want to spend 10 more minutes with him today? So use your Sabbath to have unhurried times in the Word, unhurried times in prayer. See, at the heart of the Sabbath is really our relationship with God. Because taking Sabbath can expose if we really trust God or not. I know I've had times in my life and in my walk with God where I've just said, I'm too busy to take a day off. But what does that reveal about my trust in God? Can I trust God enough that He'll provide for me even if I take a day off? Can I trust God enough that things will still get done even if I take Sabbath? See, if we don't take Sabbath, it can reveal idols in our lives. Idols of busyness, idols of stuff, materialism. It can reveal how much we worship success and significance because we're afraid if we don't keep grinding, we're not going to achieve that. Sabbath also exposes the things that I love too much, things that compete with God for my heart. If there's something that I can't even take one day away from besides the Lord, that's not a good thing. So in your Sabbath times, I want you to do things that are not only restful, but do things that deepen your relationship with God. Spend unhurried time in His Word. Now, I I know many of you do a, a, a reading plan where you read every day in your Bible, and I think that's awesome. And I know if you're like me, some days you just got to check the box, right? You got that little streak on your 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 you uh, version of the Bible where it tells you how many days in a row you've been doing it. Yeah, some of you are nodding. So you're like, eh, I'm busy. And we rush through it just so we can check the box. And I'm okay with that sometimes. I mean, it is a spiritual discipline. I think sometimes we need to be in the Word even when we don't feel like being in the Word. But there's something about unhurried time in God's Word. There's something about spending 40, 45 minutes in the Word and not even realizing you've been doing it that long because you don't have an agenda to get to that day because you've set aside time for rest. You know, I mentioned earlier that, that I was really convicted that I was been preparing for this because I, I haven't been doing that. Last week, I, I had a meeting down in Ogden with some of the other church staff, and on the way down, I just spent the whole drive just listening to praise music and just praying, and it was so good. It was such a good time off. And I got down to the meeting, and it was canceled, and they had forgotten to text me. <laughs> So if you see Pastor Scott, tease him because he felt really bad about not letting me know. But, but I wasn't even upset because I knew I had an hour on the way home to do the same thing. And honestly, guys, it had been a long time since I'd spent two uninterrupted hours just praising God, just praying to Him and just thanking Him for who He is. That's hard for me to, to admit. That's hard for me to say in front of you. It's been a long time since I'd done that. But God, in His mercy and in His patience, used a canceled meeting to give me two hours with Him that day. And he used it to remind me that I need the Sabbath. I need time with him, and so do you. We could stop there, and that would give us all plenty to chew on. But one of the things we're really hoping to do in this series is look at the Ten Commandments in light of Jesus Christ. Is to look at them in the scope of the Bible's big picture. So that leads us to my last point, and that's that the Sabbath points us towards a greater kind of rest. See, if Sabbath is about trusting God enough to rest from work then that mirrors a bigger concept. 
Because the ultimate kind of Sabbath is trusting God enough to rest from working for our salvation. To rest from working to try and be good enough. See, we don't have to work to earn forgiveness or to earn a right standing before God. We can't do that. We can't work hard enough to do that. Jesus did all the work necessary. And because of his work as our Savior, we can rest. See this in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come, and Christ himself is that reality. Everything about the Sabbath is like the shadow of something greater to come. Well, that something greater to come is Jesus Christ. He is the reality that the Sabbath foreshadows. And that's why Paul can say something as radical as don't let anyone condemn you for not observing the Sabbath. I don't think we can appreciate in our culture just how radical that statement would have been to a first century Christian, especially if they were Jewish. But Paul knew it wasn't about religious rules and regulations. Paul knew that real Christianity is about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. See, all of the Ten Commandments in one way or another, as with all of Scripture, points to Jesus and points to our need for Jesus Christ. The ultimate Sabbath rest is given to us as a gift through the person of Jesus. That ultimate Sabbath rest of not working to be right with God because we can't work hard enough to be right with God anyway. You know, just a couple of verses before this Colossians passage that we just read, we see in verse 13 that God made us alive in Christ Jesus and forgave all of our sins. See, Jesus did all the work for us that was required for salvation. There's nothing we need to add to His work. In fact, there's nothing we can add to His work. God's ultimate blessing for you in Jesus Christ is rest. Rest from the struggle of trying to measure up. Rest with trying to be worthy. Hebrews 4.3 promises us that now we who have believed enter that rest. Jesus said, my burden is light, my yoke is easy. Because he gives us rest. So if you're here today and you've been struggling to earn God's approval, if you've been working hard to be righteous on your own merit and strength and activity, God is offering you a gift of the greatest Sabbath ever. And that's rest from trying to be good enough. Rest in God's unconditional acceptance and love for you that's found through the person of Jesus Christ when we place our faith through Him. I invite you to do that today. I invite you to trust Him with your eternity. I invite you to rest. If you have questions on how to do that, I'd love to talk with you after the message. For those of us who have already done that, my encouragement to you this week is just that, rest. Rest in the knowledge that when God looks at you as a believer, He sees you through the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, this, this message has been super convicting for me, Lord. And I just ask you to forgive me for not protecting this principle of Sabbath. But I thank you, God, even in the midst of that, even in the midst of your conviction, you have been so patient with me. You've been so gentle with me. You've reminded me of just how sweet those times of rest are of how much I need those. God, I pray for anyone in here today that, that is a child of God that has put their faith in Jesus Christ, but maybe they too have neglected the principle of Sabbath. God, I pray that you just encourage them. I pray that they'd be intentional about setting aside time of rest and time for you. 
And God, for anyone in here who is still trying to work to be right before you, God, I just pray they would accept the gift of Jesus Christ. That they would be able to rest in His perfection. We love you, Lord, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys will please.